alone, right? <laughs> but we will, and, yeah, but we'll, you know, there'll definitely be some uh, work done hopefully this week so we can get back to normal. So some of you, if you were not here last week, I gave a whole sermon about why we're going to be experimenting with this new prototype, Sidur. And there are many reasons for why I believe that it's valuable. And I know some of you have already told me, oh, this is awesome. And I see other of you scowling, like, why would you do this to me? Do you hate me this much? <laughs> and I would say, like, anything that is new, you have to give it a chance, right? Very few of you probably jumped on a bike and were able to do like wheelies and all kinds of cool stuff. Instead, it was a little bit of a learned experience. But just like the Siddur, Jewish prayer is also a learned experience. You can't necessarily do it immediately out of the gate, but the value of what you build into it and what you get out of it, really the value that you get out of it is the amount of effort that you put into it, right? And I believe, just as we talked about, that this will help open up new doors for many of us. And some of us connect on more of an emotional level as we connect with God through dancing and the different kinds of singing. And some of us connect more intellectually. Some of us want to slow down. Like, you know what? There was something that God was speaking to me through our liturgy today, and I just want to meditate on that for a while. And you can't always do that when we're sort of funneled through the PowerPoint. The PowerPoint can be really helpful, and it can also be not very helpful. And I realize there are limitations to also using a sudor, but we're doing a combination of both. And I want to encourage you that not only will we continually call out page numbers as you also get used to using a sudor, but if you ever get lost, just look up on the PowerPoint because the page number will always be there, all right? So give it a chance before you throw rocks, <laughs> before you hurl insults at me and take a vote to fire me, please give it a chance, all right? So... Let's turn, if, if you will, if you will, if you want to, you can turn with me to page, uh, I'm sorry, not page, I'm already used to calling out pages, um, to chapter three of the book of Matthew. As many of you know, we've been kind of going through a sermon series throughout the book of Matthew, and so I want to return this week again to the book of Matthew. And Matthew chapter three begins, it was during those days that Yochanan the Immerser otherwise known as John the Baptist, that Yochanan the Immerser arrived in the desert of Judea and began proclaiming this message. Turn from your sins to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the man that Isaiah was talking about when he said, the voice of someone crying out, in the desert prepare the way of Adonai, make straight paths for him. For Yochanan wore clothes of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his Food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Yerushalayim and all of Yehuda and from the whole region around the Yarden. Confessing their sins, they were immersed by him in the Jordan River. When I was growing up, John the Immerser received very little attention. Of course, people talked about him as being important because he was a cousin and forerunner of Yeshua, but otherwise his role was largely reduced to a small mention in the introduction to a much larger narrative. Even today, most people are like, oh yeah, John the Baptist, he was kind of important because he's mentioned in the New Testament, but that's about it. You know, he kind of, I mean, understandably, kind of gets drowned out by Yeshua. <laughs> I'm not saying that's wrong. Please, again, don't throw rocks. But let's talk about this man of mystery. 
Because most people completely miss just how important John really was. Words are never wasted in the Bible. The gospel writers always place the greatest weight on details they deemed the most important to the narrative. So think about this for a moment. All four gospels emphasize John the Immerser. Yet only two of them actually mention the birth narrative. Do you know what that means? For the gospel writers, they consider John the Immerser even more important to the entire context of the story of Yeshua than even Yeshua's birth narrative, which especially during this season, we're all kind of thinking about, right? Not that that's not important, because obviously that is, and that's why it's there, and that's why we even get sort of a mystical version of that incarnation in the beginning of John 1. But when you think about what is the most important part of the story, all four Gospels include John. So who exactly was John? In addition to being Yeshua's cousin, he was a Cohen. He was a priest on both sides of his lineage. He was groomed from birth to be a Cohen in the Jerusalem temple. We even read how his father served, right? Yet it seems at some point he was either sent away or vanquished into the desert. Because Luke records in chapter 1, the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. The imagery that is ascribed to John and the way that John is even uh, described is also not an accident. He is described in Matthew 3 verse 4 as wearing clothing of camel's hair, a leather belt tied around his waist, eating locusts and wild honey, and proclaiming a message of repentance. Where have we heard this before? Almost word for word. 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, and it says, Vedebele lehem, and he asked them, the man who came to meet you and told you these things, what kind of man was he? And it says, he was a hairy man, they answered him, with a leather belt around his waist, and it was Elijah the Tishbite. It goes on to say that he ate locusts and wild honey. The imagery is that of Elijah. You cannot miss this. To anybody who heard this, at least to those who are familiar, when it gives a description of John, they would have thought, Bing, Eliyahu Hanavi, right? It's Elijah the Tishbite. The gospel writers wanted their readers to make this connection. Luke even describes John as coming in the spirit and power of Eliyahu in John 1.17. In fulfillment of Malachi 3, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Although we know that the real Elijah will usher in Yeshua's return, when Yeshua came the first time, it was John who served in that fulfillment of Malachi. As Luke says, he came in the spirit and power of Eliyahu. John was also an extremely important figure in his own right. John became well-known within Judea and built a number of followers. Andrew, the, the brother of Peter, was originally a follower of John before becoming one of the original 12 apostles. Also, the movement that John founded way outlived him. For example, in Acts 18 and in 19, a number of years after, of, of, a number of years after Yeshua's death, 
Paul encountered a man in faraway Ephesus. This is all the way in Ephesus who was aware only of the baptism of John, right? It says he was only aware of the immersion of John. And so they educate him and kind of catch him up. Well, since John, there was this guy, Yeshua, who's the Mashiach, and that's who John was talking about. But this goes to show you how widespread John's influence was. All over the known world, within the Jewish communities, across the diaspora, everybody knew who John the Immerser was and what he was teaching. Many scholars have long connected John with the Qumran community and to a message found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most of you are aware that in the 40s that there were some scrolls that were found in uh, it's a long story, but basically, they came into the hands of scholars through kind of an interesting, mysterious, kind of a, a fun movie. It actually would make a really great movie. I don't know why nobody has done this yet. But then scholars decided they were going to go out and scour the caves around the Dead Sea to find more scrolls. And eventually, there were 11 caves that revealed thousands and thousands of manuscripts. Most of them are fragments of scrolls. We only have I think uh, two or three what we could call scrolls. The rest of them are fragments, anything from the size of a thumbnail to bigger sections. But the Dead Sea Scrolls are one of the, the most important archaeological finds of our times in relation to under, our understanding of the Bible. The similarities between John and the Qumran community are extraordinary. For example, John proclaims a similar message. He proclaims their message in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord. John's emphasis on ritual purity, his message of repentance and righteousness, and his prophetic forms of rebuke all echo the motifs that are found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. In fact, many scholars believe John actually in his exile, because where was he going? He was sent and he was wandering around in the Judean desert. Where is, the, where is Qumran? It's in the Judean desert. It's not a ridiculous idea that if he's wandering around for years, he wouldn't have come across, you know, and spent time looking for food. You know, if he needed food or water or whatever, he would go to the settlement of Qumran. Another interesting connection between John and the Dead Sea Scrolls is actually found in an exchange between Yeshua and John. While John is in prison in Matthew 11, it records that he sent a message through his Talmudim, his disciples, to Yeshua. This is John's disciples who go to Yeshua, and they're supposed to ask Yeshua, are you the one who is to come or should we look for somebody else? John is clearly asking, are you the Messiah, right? That's what he wants to do. Are you the one who is to come or should we be looking for somebody else? And Yeshua responds with something interesting. He says in verse five, and he, quoting Isaiah 61, he says, go and tell John what you are hearing and seeing. He doesn't say, of course I'm the Messiah, right? Go back and tell him I said so. Again, remember, over and over and over again, throughout the Bible, talk is cheap. I always bring this up in my sermons because it's an important point. Talk is cheap in the Bible. Actions speak louder than words, right? This is why Yeshua says over and over and over again, you will know a tree by the fruit that it produces and why he curses the fig tree. Why? Because it claims to be a fig tree, but it doesn't produce figs. Therefore, it's no fruit tree. Right? So Yeshua says this. He basically encapsulates this idea to John. Don't go and tell John I said the Messiah. Go tell John what you are seeing and what you are hearing. 
tell him the proofs about what I say, not just simply that I said I'm the Mashiach. He said, go and tell John what you are hearing and you are seeing, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are being raised and the poor hear the good news. And he would have continued on. Yeshua responds with a messianic passage from Isaiah on purpose. Why? Because this wasn't an accident which even passage he was quoting, right? Everybody knew, or at least many interpreted Isaiah 61 at that time messianically, that this would be one of the things that Messiah would do. So if someone is doing these, if they are doing these things, this is the Mashiach. But there's something interesting in Yeshua's response as well. Yeshua responds not merely with words, but rather with a demonstration that he is indeed the Messiah. Yeshua wants John to know for sure. However, Yeshua, knowing John, also adds a small detail he knew that not everybody would catch. In his quote of Isaiah 61.1, Yeshua adds this little tiny phrase, the dead are being raised which is not actually found in Isaiah 61, right? He said, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are being raised and the poor hear the good news. That phrase, the dead being raised, there's only one other place we find that phrasing of Isaiah 61. Anybody know? It's in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The only other place this particular phrasing of Isaiah 61.1 has ever been found with the added word, the deads are being raised, is in 4Q521. That's the name of the particular scroll that this is found in. In my opinion, this was a sort of personal nod or wink to John, adding a greater emphasis to his response. If John really had spent all this time with Qumran and their teachings and their understandings of scripture, not only does he say, Go tell John what you are seeing and you are hearing and wink in my quote of Isaiah 61, I'm telling you something that probably only you are going to catch. Does everybody get that? That's what I think anyway. <laughs> Lastly, why the heck was John wandering around in the desert? If he's from this priestly family, a priest on both sides of his lineage, why does he need to be wandering around in the desert? There are some authorities who believe that John was sent or maybe even exiled from Jerusalem because he was to be the next legitimate high priest. For the high priesthood during this time had been corrupted and was controlled by the Romans who appointed the position based on bribes. What's interesting is that during the time of Yeshua, the high priesthood, the people who were serving as high priests were not legitimate high priests. It was an issue of politics and money that the Romans appointed the high priest, not the people appointed the high priest, the, the Romans appointed the high priest so that it was somebody that they could manipulate and control. According to some early sources, John's father, Zechariah, he was the one who was the legitimate high priest, and this is why he gets so much attention in Luke. And according to John Chrysostom in, in his homily of 386, and also in the writings of Ambrosia and Ephraim the Syrian, roughly during the same time period, and in addition, the tradition of Zechariah's high priesthood appears even earlier in the Proto-Evangelium of James, around 150 of the Common Era. 
So there are multiple sources that seem to confirm that John the Immerser, the reason why he was exiled, is because he's supposed to be the high priest, right? Think about this. Whenever somebody who is the legitimate person, whenever somebody else comes into power, usually through a coup or some other means, what do they do to the legitimate person in charge? They either kill them, <laughs> which is what happened in Russia with the, the family of the Tsars, with Nicholas and his family, or they go into exile. There are a number of kings in exile, right? Most people don't know this. There are royal families that are still considered royal, even though they have no throne. If John were to be the legitimate high priest, it would also make even greater sense why Yeshua had to go to John to be immersed prior to beginning his public work in order for everything to be fulfilled according to righteousness. I don't think Yeshua went to John because he says, I have to be immersed by you in order to fulfill all righteousness. It's not just because you're my cousin, <laughs> right? It's there's something about John and the importance of John which requires Yeshua to be immersed by him. Yeshua may have gone to John because exactly of this priestly role of John. Although this aspect of John may be speculative, what is true is that John was the perfect candidate to be a forerunner for the Messiah. John was indeed this Elijah-type figure who would usher in Yeshua's time on earth. As John himself says, the reason I came immersing with water was so that the Messiah might be made known to Israel. That's why I'm here. That's what I do. I am here doing this work so that the Messiah will be made known to Israel. And ultimately, it was through John, right, that that announcement publicly went forth to all of Israel. When John is the one who publicly proclaims, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Each of us have a similar role to John. If you get anything out of this message and the blah, 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 John is important, blah, 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 right? <laughs> John is far more important than any of you realize. But you know what? So are you. And just as John was sent to prepare the way of the Messiah, so are you. So am I. Each one of us as a community, as individuals, that we're sent to prepare the way of the Lord. The reason that we come immersing in water is so that the Messiah may be made known to Israel and the world. Amen. It is a great task. However, our role has been divinely selected. You have been chosen and called to, for this purpose. God needs you. He needs me. He needs each one of us. Only when working together can we experience the long-awaited return of our beloved Messiah? This has been my greatest heart's cry since not only I've been here, but what motivates my entire calling and purpose is that we would share the light of Messiah not only to Israel, as it says in Romans, to the Jew first, but equally to the Gentile. But it starts with us. It starts with being a light to Israel. Avinu Shabashamayim, our Father in heaven. I pray that you would burn so deeply within us that as we're celebrating this season of miracles, this season of light, this season of the birth of Messiah, 
regardless of whether this is the actual time or not, I don't want to get into that, but this is when everybody's attention is on this event. I pray, God, that the true message of the holiday season would really burn within us this year. That the power and the passion of when we first became followers of Yeshua would burn in us once again. I believe great things are in store for us ahead, that we've actually had a really great year around here. And I believe that even greater years, as we continue to build on the foundation that's been laid in the past, believe it or not, almost 28 years. Thank you, God, for your blessings. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that each one of us are here because you specifically called us and chose us to follow you that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Even though things are hard, that you have, been, you have faithfully brought us here to this point, that we're still here. The rivers may rise, may rise in rage, but the word of the Lord stands firm. God, I pray that as we move into 2020, that this would also be a prophetic season for us, prophetically being able to see 2020, to rightly see what lies ahead. That this would be the year of new beginnings, of, uh, of turning and of good things that you want to do in not only Beth Amunah, but I believe that God wants to do in each and every one of us. So I pray that we would respond to that, that we would hear your call and we would hear your beckon because you stand at the door and you knock. And I pray that each one of us would have the courage to open the door, that we would have faith to open the door, that we would not be afraid and say, what do I do if I open the door? God, open the door. Open the floodgates of heaven and rain down upon us. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So please rise.